This is Doc List on Software Industry Trends. In this conversation, I talk with George Dinwiddie, another member of the Agile community who's been doing software development for decades and has specifically been focusing on testing and the concept of acceptance test-driven development for some time. I'm at the Agile Development Practices West Conference with George Dinwiddie. George and I were talking about our relative experience in software and the industry, and I wanted to continue the topic I was talking about with Martin Fowler regarding Agile in the last 10 years. So, so George, you've been at this a while, <laughs> and um, uh, you've been involved in Agile and Agile-like things for quite a while. So I was curious about your perspective on how our professional space, software development and, and applications and so forth, has been changing over the last decade or two, for that matter. It's kind of interesting to me. When I uh, discovered Agile by accident. Well, I discovered XP by accident because I wasn't looking for it. Uh -huh. And I, at the time, had recently gotten into the, the uh, business software space. I'd come okay. from an embedded systems background. And I was kind of shocked at the way things were done in the business software space where, you know, it was okay for the program to fail. Oh, you could just restart it and things like that. And, you know, <laughs> so that, and that wasn't true in the embedded software space. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, things could just drag out and drag out. There mm -hmm. seemed to be a lot of, a lot of effort that was not really needed from my point of view. And so, to me, Agile was a good fit. It seemed natural to me, mm -hmm. um, and I made a very easy transition to that. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not easy bringing other people with me, necessarily. So, so there's two parts to that for me, then. One is, you said you saw it as a natural transition. Why did you see Agile as a natural transition, and good and easy for you? And then second, you said not necessarily easy bringing other people with you, and I'm curious about that. But let's, let's talk about the first one first. So why did you see it as natural, and why was it easy for you? For the most part, these practices are not really new. And a lot of them were very close to what I would do you know, when I was working on a project by myself. You know, mm -hmm. Kind of grow the project, figure it out as I went along. There were many times where I was doing both hardware and software, and so what I would learn doing one would sort of trigger an idea and something to go do with the other and mm -hmm. back and forth and, and build things, test it, and then build on top of them. Right. Now, so incremental very creation, incremental creation development. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now that was a very ad hoc process. Mm -hmm. And I think what Agile did was not just give it a name, but sort of put some clarity around what is this we were doing. Yeah. And this has happened to me in a number of different ways mm -hmm. where I've found a way of working that's really working well, but it's it's subconscious. Yeah. I'm not really, I can't explain how I'm doing it. And then some, some other people come along and say, and describe it in words, and and say, I say, yeah, that's it. Uh -huh. Now I can tell people what I'm doing. <laughs> so you said you found XP by accident. So what was it about XP? I mean, having been a embedded systems developer and then an applications developer, 
and with your background, so you also have a background in hardware design, you said. Right. Right. So where was it that XP fit for you? You said you discovered it, but it was an accident. I discovered it on Ward's Wiki. Ward Cunningham. Uh, yes. Uh -huh. I was looking for information on design patterns, and so I went to the Portland Pattern Repository, and I kept uh -huh. seeing this stuff about extreme programming. And my son was a skateboarder, so, you know, I just... You know, yeah, that sounds funny. But. Uh -huh. And so one day I used it as a joke in a conversation. Uh -huh. And a friend of mine says, well, extreme programming, what does that mean? And I said, well, I don't know. I guess I better find out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to go back then to you said, and while you jumped on the bad bandwagon, if you will, it wasn't easy to bring other people with you. Yeah, it's um, it's the whole change agent issue, mm -hmm. uh, which I had no skills at at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a geek, an introvert. You know, I had worked in really small groups or, or solo a lot of my career, more in a lab environment than a corporate environment. Uh -huh. You know, I didn't necessarily have the words or the persuasive capability to, to bring people along. And sometimes, you know... You can be making progress, and then, you know, one false move, and you blow the whole thing away. So, so you said that you felt like you didn't have the words to convince people or to explain. Right. But did you also find resistance from developers, testers, managers, uh, when you tried to introduce the ideas? Not only resistance, but sometimes, you know, just complete misconceptions. Hmm. We had a, a guy come in who was, a, you know, joined the company who they had done... XP, his previous company where he worked, he was a manager, a development uh -huh. manager. So he knew all about it. They had given the books to everybody. I don't think he read the book. I think he just had it <laughs> on his desk. But, but, you know, they were practicing it. They knew uh -huh. all about that. Yeah. And one day in conversation, you know, talking about pairing, because I thought we should be pairing that we get more done and, mm -hmm. and stuff. And, but we were in this cube farm, which made it impossible. And uh, he talked about the pairing at, at his previous company. And I said, didn't the pairs change who they were paired with? Oh, no, they were paired for the right. life of the project. Oh. <laughs> yeah, somewhat of a misconception there, yeah. Do you think that pairing, when done properly, provides benefit? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It doesn't work to say you have to pair on everything, though. In most cases, it doesn't work. If the team wants to say, we are going to pair on everything, right. that's great. But it does not work for a manager or a scrum master or somebody else to say, you will pair on everything. That, because, you, do, know, you, do you just can push people around that way. Yeah. Do you think there's optimal kinds of tasks that, are, that lend themselves to pairing? And second of all, as far as how long you should pair with one person or on what kinds of tasks, do you, have you seen any kind of trends in that? Yeah, you know, there's been a little research done in that. I, mm -hmm. I don't think any of it's really conclusive. Mm -hmm. It's really a hard thing to study. Did, did you read um, Arlo Belshi's uh, yes, the, pr Promiscuous Pairing? Right. And when I tell people that, the, that Arlo found for that team uh -huh. that 90 minutes was, was an optimal time, and then the person with the most experience on that task leave and somebody else come in, uh -huh. people think I'm crazy. But, yeah. you know, well, maybe that won't work for you. Yeah. Uh, this is a, that was a very self-motivated team. Yep. They wanted it to work. And yep. that, that's important. So you found this stuff 10 years ago? I mean, ex so, so you've been riding this 
horse for, for a decade. Right. Have you seen things change? Is there still resistance? Um, are there different challenges? Yeah, uh, well, sure, there's still resistance. Uh -huh. um, and there's and there's also people, you know, adopting it who aren't really adopting it. They mm -hmm. just think they are. Or they're adopting the words. What does like, that mean? Or, well, like that, like that manager who hmm. thought the pairing for the life of the project was right. was what pairing meant. So he I've got seen, the word, I, but not the concept. I've seen clients where, oh, well, we'll just take these scrum meetings and put them on top of what we are already doing. Uh -huh. And then they wonder what developers complain they've got less time to get work done. Yeah. Well, of course. You know, these are, you, you need to get some understanding of what the benefits of these are and make uh -huh. sure you're getting those benefits, not just do them because some, some book says this is the way yeah. to do it. So, so where do you see this evolving over the next few years? Well, I, I think that some people are going to go in the weeds because some people go in the weeds no matter what. Mm -hmm. the, the people who are doing well, it's kind of interesting to me. When I first got involved in XP and then the term Agile came along, it was very developer-centric. And then from there, we seem to have gone down this path where, you know, a lot of management stuff has been brought in and been targeting managers. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's a lot because they're the ones who can say, we're going to do this. Right. And, you know, there's been a, a sort of a backlash from that with the software craftsmanship people because mm -hmm. they say, well, we can't forget the programming. And they're right. Yeah. But I also see other people being being brought into the process, the, the, the testers, you know, have kind of felt left out of this, but it's extraordinarily important mm -hmm. um, to have them fully involved too. Yep. So and and, the, and the, the product owners, the business people, yes. and I'm seeing this start to happen. Yep. Uh, do you see the role of testing changing in all of this? Yes. Or I should say the role of the tester, yeah. not testing, but maybe both. Yeah. I, my, my feeling is, you know, of course, if you wait till the end of the project to do your testing, you're in trouble. Yeah. And this is what we learned with these, you know, long-phased construction cycles. Yeah. If you wait till the end of your iteration to test, you're in trouble. It's a smaller trouble. So even in the continual. microcosm. It's just the same thing, right? Yeah. And so, so te well, when, when I discovered ex extreme programming, the thing that did not make sense to me was was test-driven development. How can I write a test for my code before the code exists? Mm -hmm. So I tried it for three days, and by golly, it worked, and it was pretty neat. Uh -huh. and, and yeah, one of the things I find compelling about it is the idea that you have no code for which you do not have unit tests, sort of restated. All right. code has unit tests, which as an old developer myself, is, is a bizarre concept because we wrote as little unit tests as we absolutely had to back then. Well, what I find powerful about it is I start thinking about the code in a different way. To me, it's very similar to when I went from procedural programming to object-oriented. How so? And I, you know, instead of thinking about how, how do I push these bits and bytes around, I start thinking about what message do I want to send to this object? What do I want to ask this object to do? And I'm thinking at a higher level of abstraction. Uh -huh. And so now I'm doing that in my code creation. What thing do I want to ask this code to do that it doesn't do yet? Interesting. So your, your perspective, actually, I think is very valuable. So it's not that you're writing a test. It's that you're, you're writing a verification of what that request for yeah. the code to do something is. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and the test is just sort of a happy byproduct. Uh -huh. And I think the same thing is happening in the testing 
you know, that's very code centric. Right, developer centric. But, yeah. But from the business point of view, the acceptance testing, I see the same thing happening. Uh -huh. One, if we if we move that writing that test up before the development, it makes it easier for the developer to hit the right thing. Yep. And to know when he's done, and not go off and continue to create more stuff. Yeah. You know. But if we move it up even further to the conversation where we're talking with the business about what they, what they want, we come up with those examples then, they're not even automated or anything. We're just talking about them in terms of examples. Yeah. So have you... Have this you gets rid of those, those requirements bugs. Yes. And have you been looking at um, acceptance test-driven development, ATDD? Oh, yes. We just did a, at the beginning of this conference, did a two-day uh -huh. workshop on that. And, and it's incredibly powerful, I think. So you said you just did a tutorial or a workshop on ATDD. Right. So can you explain it in relatively simple terms? What What is ATDD? Well, it, it, basically it's taking what you, you know, the functionality you want, what people call the requirements. Mm -hmm. I call them desirements because, you know, nothing's ever really required, you know. Right. <laughs> when you get down to it, everything is, is sort of iffy. But there are things we really want. Uh-huh. And there are things, we, we start with what we really know we want. Right. And and start start working on that rather than try to get everything we could possibly want. Uh-huh. And so, you know, that's just sort of typical prioritization and working through it. So we, if we take that, and as the business is communicating it to the team, you know, to the development team. Mm -hmm. So I call it the three amigos. Because we've got the, the business, we've got the programmer, and we've got the tester. Now, a lot of times there's more people than three, but at least those three viewpoints. They okay. don't have to be people. They're viewpoints. Right. So one is the, the, what is it we want? And then the programmer point of view is, well, how can we do this? Is this feasible? You know, would this be really hard to do? Yeah. Or, or maybe this seems kind of complicated, but it sounds like you kind of want this, and I could do this that's a little different really easily. Yeah. And cheaply for you, is that the same thing? Uh huh. And so we got that point. And then the and, tester. And then the tester is thinking yeah. about what can go wrong. The critical thinking about this. So you not know, the, not the how do I prove it's wrong, but what could go wrong? Right. What could and go wrong in the process? Have, have you thought about this? Do we need to consider this aspect? Okay. Now, but isn't the tester a critical player then in ATDD? Absolutely. And, and so in that case, are they thinking about what could go wrong, or are they thinking about how do I verify the what that the developer, or the how that the developer has worked on meets the what that the product owner customer wants? Well, the, the how to, to verify, I see, is kind of shared between, between the tester and the programmer. Okay. And, and so a lot of times when you get down to... You know, if we come up with these examples when we're talking about the requirement. Right. And then we want to hook these examples up to the code to, to verify that they work. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, the best way to do that is have the tester and the programmer sit together and hook it up. Okay. Because, you know, the tester working alone, we have a really hard time doing it. We're working with the programmer, and the programmer says, oh, well, I can just add an ID to this field so we can just find it no matter where it is on the page. Okay. Things like that. So they're collaborating to be able to demonstrate results. Right. Now, so take me back then to how is this acceptance testing driven development as opposed to just what we're used to? What, what's the difference between I'm writing user stories, I'm writing acceptance criteria, I'm building, I'm testing. What, what makes AT, 
DD as an approach stand out? The difference is that we've got explicit examples of what we want up front. So the, the acceptance criteria are now representing examples yeah. of what we want, not right. just how not, I'll know if we've succeeded. Right. It's not just a, a general description. You know, we want a, a user to be able to log in mm -hmm. and, and withdraw money. So, if so they withdraw if they have this amount and they withdraw this amount they have this much left. If mm -hmm. they have this amount and they try to withdraw this amount, which is greater than what happens. Yeah. So you know, the details the devil's in the details. So is it really acceptance test driven development or is it acceptance criteria driven development? Yeah. I, I mean again, I don't want to pick on the term, I just want to understand it. But it, yeah, you're right. Again, the word test is is inappropriate. Mm -hmm. It's just what it's called. Right. Test-driven development is not about the, the test that you happen to get out at the end. It's right. really a design technique. Well, I, you know, sometimes I say TDD is actually test-driven design, not test-driven development. Right. And so, so ATDD is about, if I understood you correctly, ATDD is about um, expanding the definition of user story to include not just the acceptance criteria, but acceptance criteria as examples of what we'd like to see from this, right. such that the developers and the testers can actually um, have a specific target to shoot at, as right. opposed to a more general and statement. And the same target. Everybody's got the same understanding. People communicate so much better uh -huh. and more easily with examples yeah. than they do with, with abstract it's concepts. It's like telling stories rather than lecturing. Exactly. So, if, so this if, is if I tell some lecture somebody about some abstract concept, then they're going to walk away with a different understanding of it, very different understanding yes. than I have. Yeah. If I tell a story about it, then they, you know, what they get out of the story may be different, but we we can agree on that story. Yep. Then it seems to me that ATDD is yet another evolution that we're seeing in the agile community of a number of approaches that have been working and we're still trying to understand how they can work better and how they right. can produce more effective results that deliver value. Exactly. Huh, okay. Are there particular challenges with ATDD? Well, you know, the challenges are in getting people to do it, really. Um, Is it as hard to learn as TDD? Because I found TDD to be such a mind shift for developers because they're used to thinking in terms of I have a challenge, I visualize the code, the solution, the objects, the classes, the whole that whole thing in my head, and then I sit down and I start to write it. Then I think about how do I verify that it does what I think I wanted it to do, which I didn't really articulate well. And it's a similar mind shift. Yeah. Because when I'm doing TDD, I still sometimes will visualize the solution, and then I try to write a test that pushes me towards that solution. And you know, but in smaller steps in, than we in, used in to do. Very small steps. Back in the bad old days. Right. <laughs> and sometimes I'm surprised I find a, a different solution that's way better uh -huh. than the one I originally visualized because I don't need all the mechanism I thought of. Right. Oh, this is really pretty easy. I keep I pushed it and it go went slight, somewhere slightly different that's better. Yeah. So and you I see the, the same thing, thing happen. Huh? This is a, a bigger scale from the business point of view. We're working on on a little out a few layers of the onion, so we're bigger scales of time, but it's still the similar sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, we want it to do this now. We want our whole system to do this. Push it one little step, one story at a time. Simplify so many things like estimation and story splitting. So how does it help with estimation? Well, if you've got a whole lot of these examples, it's a big story. Okay. And it's easy to split because you can say, well, these 
particular examples kind of go together. They're, mm -hmm. they're kind of clumped together easily. These are about a particular error condition. We can turn those into a separate story. Right. And so you can easily split that up just by looking at the number of examples and seeing which ones kind of go together. Do you find that when people um, adopt ATDD, their estimation gets faster, more consistent? Is there is there really an effect on estimation as opposed to on the sizing of stories? Yeah, I think it's much quicker uh -huh. because when you come into the planning meeting, and, and you've got these general things and there are these long conversations about what does this mean, what does mm -hmm. that mean, and then some people still, they're estimating one set of functionality because they think they've got to cover all these exception cases. Well, it turns out those really aren't intended to be part of this story, but they don't realize that because they're working from a general description. Mm -hmm. and, and so it can really drag out. Yeah. Plus you've got trying to do this story elaboration with the entire team. Yeah, and you really don't need everybody. Everybody ultimately has to understand it. But if a few people go off and figure out what, what are the essential examples of the right. story, those examples help communicate it to everybody else. Yeah, and people can look at these examples and say, "Oh, well, if I, that's all I have to do, it's this." Yep. And so the estimation becomes much quicker. Yep. So it's not a dramatic shift from what we're used to. It's just sort of seems to me it's it's. Giving it a name and a and an approach right. that is that again is evolutionary from things we've been doing. Right. So, so it's it's one of those clarifying yeah. things to help you be more aware of yeah. kind of what you've been doing and do it a little better. Yeah. So do you think this is specific to Agile, or do you think that waterfall teams could be doing some version of ATDD? They could. Um, I, you know, if you were doing this in waterfall, you would probably have a phase to come up with all of these examples. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be really long and boring. Um, it would be hard for me to do. Uh -huh. um, it would mean that by the time we get around to, to go implementing some of these examples, we've forgotten some of the things we thought about. Right. Unless Although we probably wrote those be, down too. Yeah. So, so we'd have to relearn some things. But, but as it you said earlier. It would be done before we learn some stuff that might make it easier. Yeah. But as you said earlier, by having stories, that is, examples, right. as opposed to just the, the system requirements, shell. yeah, um, I would think that that would at least retain more of that um, thinking and, and tribal knowledge kind of stuff. I think that, it would. Yeah. I think it would. It would be a half step, though, but I think it would. Yeah. Is there one or two primary people who've been responsible for the concept of ATDD, or has this evolved amongst the community? It's evolved amongst the community. There's, um, I think it's kind of been independently invented by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Who I came up with the term? Because the one I saw was Elizabeth Hendrickson. I don't know if She may else. have. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I know she's written about it, which is where I first saw it. Yeah. You know, and this kind of comes out of uh, Kent Beck's customer tests. Uh-huh. So it's just putting a little more rigor, a little more discipline into yeah. that concept. Okay. It's, but there are a lot of people who kind of converged on this. Yeah, most things are invented in more than one place at the same time. Right. Yeah, and you're all talking to each other. I should say we're all talking to each other, but in this case you, because I'm not involved in ATD or the evolution. And, there, and there's been a, um, an Agile Alliance acceptance testing tools workshop before oh, really? the Agile conference for the last few years. Okay. Yeah. I knew there was last year. I'd which, forgotten. Which yeah. is just sort of a, you know, a one-day open space. Yeah. 
people huh. who are coming to the conference yeah. anyway to talk about the tool spaces just exploded. Yeah. There's so many good free tools in this space now. What are some of the leaders that you're familiar with? Well, fitness, uh, robot framework, and cucumber are sort of the fitness, big Fitness, really? Okay. My understanding was fitness was sort of waning. And I hear you saying it's it's a leader in this space. Well, I know a lot of people using it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the thing is, these tools are stealing ideas from each other. Yeah. And there are dozens of others that are yeah. all smaller players yep. in the mind share. But there's still a lot of people using fitness. Okay. And I gave a talk on uh, this Three Amigos concept a while back, and about a year ago. And Uncle Bob happened to be in the audience, uh -huh. and he came up. He says, "Let me show you something." We downloaded the latest fitness, and he had added. Well, I know he's it, been working on the next generation of it. Yeah, well, this is something he'd done like the week before. Uh -huh. He'd added the given when then into fitness. Oh, really? Yeah. And of course, that's the BDD model. Right. Yeah. And so, fitness and robot framework are basically table driven, but they can support given when then. Yeah. Cucumber is given when then oriented, uh -huh. yeah. but it supports tables. Yep. All right. Is, is there anything else about ATDD that you think listeners might want to know or that it's important for them to know? I think the main thing is try it, pay attention, experiment. Mm -hmm. It's not rocket science. Well, but, but for some it is. <laughs> I don't think it is for anybody, but you yeah. just have to observe what's going on. You yeah. have to have so, to, to look at how well it's working for you uh -huh. and, and think, you know, well, if we did it a little differently, would that work better? Is there information on your blog or your Blicky that, that people can read, or is there somewhere else you'd suggest they could go to learn about this if they don't have someone who already knows it nearby? Yeah, there's some information on my blog. It probably Which points to some other places. Blog blog.gdinwitty.com. That's G G-D-I-N-W-I-D-D-I-E.com. -D -D -E. Okay. On the Agile Toolkit, Bob and I recorded our podcast yesterday Bob on the Payne. topic. Bob Payne. Yeah. Okay. So, and I know, like, as I say, I know Elizabeth Hendrickson on her um, Test Obsessed blog. Right. Has some information about it. That's so those, are, those are some good starting points, and, yeah. and you, they'll lead you to others. Yeah. There's an Agile Testing Yahoo group. Okay. Which is a good place to go ask questions. Yep. Each of the tools has its own forum, you know, so cucumber, email, uh, cucumber Fitness, Robot Framework, uh -huh. they all have their own e email list. Okay. And I'm sure there are, there are websites about them or web right. pages about them. Excellent. So there's there's a lot of places. It can be overwhelming. That's that's yeah. one of the big problems. So start a little bit at a time, as with everything. Right. Pick away, try it, see what works for you, adapt, try again. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much, George. I really well, appreciate you. the time. This has been fun. Um, I, I think the information, particularly about ATVD, is meaty. I'm excited about that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>